0: So today is week number two in our message series called Wonder, and my prayer is that God would use this series in order to help us to treasure the truths of Christmas or to rediscover the joy, the wonder of the fact that Christ came. Now similar to a traditional Advent, we are studying four words that are often associated with Christmas, and those words are love, joy, hope, as well as peace. And with each of these four words, we are asking three different questions as it relates to Christmas. That is, what was expected, what was revealed, and why does it matter? So through the messianic prophecies of the Old Testament, what was expected prior to Christ's birth? Based upon the life and the teachings and the ministry of Jesus, what was revealed in Christ's birth? And then finally, as Christians living in 2021 why does it really matter that he was born now let me be very clear we understand the redemptive implications of that we we get that part but how does it impact how you live each day after you're a believer how does it practically get worked out in your life the significance of the fact that christ was born So we set up the series this last week by establishing one overarching truth, and that is based on Old Testament prophecies and predictions. The same words that we associate with Christmas today are the same words that they associated with Messiah's arrival back then. That is, when they looked forward to Messiah's arrival, they waited in hope for all that he would be and all that he would do. They believed that he would usher in an era of peace they had joy that he was going to be greater than all of their circumstances and they were reminded of God's great love for Israel all four of the exact same words love hope joy as well as peace now, while each of those words was fulfilled in Christ, it was bigger, it was deeper, it was more significant than we could have ever imagined. Uh, said in a different way, what was revealed was greater than what was expected, and the implications still impact us today. That's why it matters. So, today we're going to dig into the first of our four words it's the word peace. Jesus' birth and his ministry, it redefined peace for us as well as it broadened our understanding of how Messiah would bring peace with him. Now for us to be able to work into some of these truths today, we're going to ask those same three questions. What was expected? What was revealed? And why does it matter? So I invite you at this time, go with me in your Bibles to Luke's Gospel chapter number 2. Luke's Gospel chapter number 2. This is our same basic text from this last week, but we're just kind of expanding it out just a little bit. You have a couple of more verses on the front side. So we're in verses 10 through 14. I'm speaking this morning on the subject of peace and how it is connected with Messiah, how it is connected with Christmas, and how it is connected to us today. Here's what it says, starting in verse number 10. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and here it is, and on earth peace. There's our word for the day. Peace among men with whom he is pleased. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask today that you would allow your word to come alive, and God help us to be able to see how this particular word, peace, not only is connected with the Christmas story, but how it has unbelievable significance to every single person in this room and to those who are watching online. In Jesus' name, amen. So we begin with our first question. What was expected? Last week I shared a number of the prophecies that were surrounding Messiah's birth and how it was that those prophecies helped people to understand what they were looking for as well as what the ministry of Messiah was going to be. And I'm not going to go back and cover all of that information again. If you would like to, go and check it out online. It's on our YouTube page, also on the church website at sherwoodbaptist.net. If you've not watched it, go back and catch all the different passages. We set it all up. But I do want to take just a moment today, and I want to go back and restate some of those prophecies, specifically those related to peace because that helps us understand what was expected and why this word is so significant. So why did people associate Messiah's arrival with peace? Why did they connect Messiah and peace? And for that matter, let's go another step beyond that. Why is that particular prediction still a point of contention for people to this very day? Simply stated, the lack of peace in the world today is a part of why many skeptics, and especially many Jewish people, would say Jesus is not Messiah. I'm going to read a quote to you. This is a quote from Rabbi Kaplan. It's out of his book entitled The Real Messiah. This is what he says, and I quote, The main task of the Messiah was to bring the world back to God and to abolish all war, suffering, and injustice from the world. Clearly, Jesus did not accomplish this. In order to get around this failure, Christians invented the doctrine of the second coming. All of the prophecies that Jesus did not fulfill the first time are supposed to be taken care of with the second time around, end of quote. Now I know quotes like that might be hard, especially if you have deep-seated beliefs. And in some ways, a quote like that almost sounds like somebody is attacking your belief system. But for just a moment, Put yourself in the perspective of somebody who is not a follower of Christ. If peace was to be part of what Messiah brought, and you look around this world and there's division and hatred and violence and wars and problems, and there's problems in families and there's problems in communities. It is understandable that a thinking, logical person would say, if Messiah is supposed to bring peace and there's not peace, that could not have been Messiah. Well, one of the things that I want you to see is that yes, it is true, like what Rabbi Kaplan said, that Christians do connect many of the prophecies of Messiah to the second coming. And and we don't apologize for that. I I will say we did not invent the second coming of Christ. (laughs) That's a whole other conversation right there. I think that's still a part of God's plan, his timeline that was revealed by his spirit to us. But I would say it is important for us to at least pause and to go back and to say, for Christians, we look at peace as more than simply the abolishment of war and maybe peace on earth. To understand peace in the context of Christianity, you have to broaden it out. And that is peace between a person and God. Peace of mind. Remember, Scripture says that he will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. He brings a peace that you don't find in the world, as well as there is a peace that he can establish between you and others. So here's my question. How does all of that conversation about peace fit into the gospel story and fit into the Christmas story? Well, not only was peace associated with Messiah, but it was specifically associated with the birth of Messiah. Listen to what Isaiah the prophet said 700 years before Jesus was born. For a child will be born to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There it is. Okay, so for 700 years here's what they were expecting they were expecting a child of significance that's just one piece and somehow that child of significance would be associated with peace expecting a child of significance peace would somehow come with that child that was the expectation so what was revealed well luke chapter 2 verses 10 through 14 our passage for today it tells that story. It's a scene that's familiar to many of us. There's shepherds in the field. It's nighttime. The stars are brightly shining. <laughs> Sounds like a song could be made out of that. God appears through an angel, speaks through an angel to the shepherds and says, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been, here it is, born for you a Savior. They're expecting, they're they're waiting on a child of significance to be born. And now an angel sent from God says, I've got good news of great joy. There is a child who is born to you. This will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth. Here it is, peace among men with whom he is pleased so they are expecting a child of significance to be born and an angel comes and says I got good news for you a child has been born they are expecting this child of significance to be associated with peace And in the context of announcing Jesus' birth, the angel goes on to say that on earth peace among men with whom he is well pleased. Now, if that's not enough to at least get people's attention, the angel was also really clear. Verse 11, the angel calls Jesus a savior who is, here's the word, Christ the Lord. Now, remember last week, the word Christ, it is the Greek term Christos which is the Greek equivalent for the word Messiah. So here's basically what this angel is saying. Messiah has been born. You've been waiting for Messiah. Messiah has been born. The Savior is here, and peace is coming with him. What was expected? What was revealed? The Prince of Peace was promised. A child of peace is born. Now let's take this idea of peace a little bit further. In the New Testament, we see that peace is not just part of his title. Remember, he's Prince of Peace. It's also who he is and what he gives as well as what he teaches. So I want you to write these references off to the side, somewhere in your notes, maybe in a Bible margin, something like that. I'm going to give you several of these. John chapter 14, verse 27. Jesus said, Peace I leave with you, My peace I give to you. Then he says in John chapter 16, verse 33, In me you may have peace. This this is what he's offering. He's saying, In me you may have peace. Peace I leave with you. Now he told his disciples in Mark chapter 9, verse 50, that they are to be at peace with one another. He's teaching them. Peace is also to characterize your relationships with others. And then in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, it says of Christ that he himself is our peace. He gives peace, he teaches peace, he is peace. Now that sounds great. It sounds like we're on the right track. Because everything that we're reading here seems to keep aligning, and by the way, that is the hope of every beauty contestant since pageants began. What do you want? World peace. <laughs> and now the angels saying, "I got you some good news. Messiah is here, and peace is what he teaches, and peace is what he offers, and peace is who he is." I mean, it's all lining up. Great, until Jesus speaks. In Matthew 10, 34 through 36, Jesus said, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. Whoa, whoa, whoa there, Jesus. (laughs) We're, We're getting off the narrative just a little bit. Do not think I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. What? It seemed so clear for just a moment. Everything was lining up. We have Old Testament prophecies of he's going to come with peace and the announcement of his birth and there's peace and Jesus' teachings and it's about peace and then all of a sudden, we get into Matthew chapter 10. I look at this, I'm thinking like, is verse 36 like a misprint? Is verse 37 Jesus is like, nah, just kidding, I really do want peace. <laughs> I just painted, seeing if you all are paying attention there. Again, context is always key. So in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus is addressing the inevitable divisions that will come between those who believe in them and those who reject his teachings. He's not saying that his mission is to put one person against another. He's saying his message will put one person against another. When one person has been radically saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ, they no longer make sense to the person who has not yet encountered Christ in that way. In fact, sometimes it brings you at odds with people you used to run with, friends you used to hang around, family members you all used to do things together. And there was like, there was a connection. And all of a sudden, you're no longer a part of the party. And nobody's like, hey, what happened to so and so? They became a real stick in the mud. And religion's getting all over them right there. Listen, there is division that comes with the message of Christ. He did not fail in his messianic prophecies regarding peace. Instead, he begins to reframe our understanding of what peace is all about. The fullness of peace is only realized in Christ. So why does this matter? This is your key truth for today, and I promise it goes quickly from here. Key truth. Only Jesus can fulfill our three greatest needs for peace Peace with God, peace of mind, peace with others. Only Jesus can fulfill our three greatest needs for peace. Now, pause there for just a moment. Can you think of a greater need for peace in your life than for you to have peace with God? For you to have peace of mind? And for you to be able to be at peace with others? I I don't know if there's a, a larger or deeper need out there regarding peace than What only comes through Christ? So let's start with the first of those. Peace with God comes through Jesus. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Having been justified by faith. Oh, look at this. We have peace with God. Where did it come from? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. People want to know that they're right with God. They want to know that... If something were to happen to them, if they were to close their eyes in death, they open their eyes in eternity, and they are at peace with God, that everything is okay between them and God. That is why religion itself is so appealing. Religion is humanity's attempt to be at peace with God, to be right somehow with him. But that is also one of the downfalls of religion. There is never a guarantee that our efforts will be good enough, And it's never clear between religions on what you actually do when you mess up. Every religion has a different prescription, a different plan, a different path for how it is that you can be right with God or have peace with God or be forgiven by God. Everyone has something else. So the most popular view, if you were to kind of summarize all of them, would be something like this. To be right with God, your good works have to outweigh your bad works. Most of the time, if you boil it all down, there's something about a workspace system of righteousness. So let me ask you a couple of questions. What do you do if you've messed up before? Let's just say, let's just say, today, moving forward, you're a really good person. What do you do with all that other junk in the past? The idea of good works being enough to get a person to heaven to make them right with God only leads to greater anxiety. It never leads to peace. So Here's a couple of questions. You might say, well, I'm a pretty good person. Well, let's find out about that. Have you ever done anything wrong in your life? Have you ever done anything you're not proud of? Have you at least one time on a Black Friday elbowed somebody at the store... (laughs) to get that last gift on the shelf. Some of you all, I'm watching your heads. You're like, oh, he saw us at the store. Have you ever stretched the truth to fit your purposes? Have you ever talked about somebody behind their back? Have you ever undercut somebody at work? Have you ever disobeyed authority? You're like, no, I'm a very obedient person. Did you speed at any point this last week? Have you ever looked at anything you shouldn't look at, said anything that you should not say? In other words, have you ever done anything human? (laughs) Okay. So if our acceptance is based on our good works, the question now has to be, will God still accept me even with my bad works? Here's the question. If good works get you into heaven, how good is good enough? Okay, here it is. Think of it like this. Like, what if you're just marginally good, like a 51 percenter? Like, I mean, you're not totally bad. I mean, you get you an extra percentage point. You made it beyond halfway. Is that enough? Does God expect a good solid C average, like a 75% goodness? Or is God looking for perfection a hundred percent? Does God grade on a curve? How good is good enough? Does God expect your good deeds to offset your bad deeds? Now if you say, well yeah, that's how it should work. Okay, here's my question, what's the ratio? Is it one good deed for every bad deed you did in the past? Or is God working on a two to one ratio? Like how good is good enough? The problem with religion's idea that good works are enough to make a person right with God and enough to make a person so that they are forgiven, the problem with that is no one knows how good is good enough and nobody can be clear on what you do if you mess up. So if religion sets a standard I can't meet, I have no peace. And if religion sets no standard by which I can measure, how will I ever know if I'm right with God? Either way, the path leads to anxiety and self-condemnation. So if you're wondering, like, what do you do with this? Can I tell you what the Bible says? The Bible goes ahead and wipes the whole conversation out. Here's what Christianity teaches. You'll never be good enough. Your good works will never outweigh your bad. We stand before a holy God condemned, depraved, and separated. Our morality is not enough. Our religion is not enough. You could do good works for the rest of your life, and the Word of God says it's still not enough. Did you know the Bible says our righteousness is like filthy rags in the sight of God? Now, if the conversation ended there, that's what you call bad news. But praise the Lord, we get a chance to give good news. Here's what Christianity teaches Christianity teaches there's nothing that you and I could ever do to make us right with God, but Jesus did what we could not do. He lived a perfect life. He died as a substitution for our sins. So our acceptance before God is not based on our performance, it's based on his perfection. That's why there can be good news for us today. So now listen to what Scripture says. I mean, get you some of this. Get you some of this. Colossians 1:20. It tells us that Jesus made peace with God the Father through the blood of the cross. That's good news for us. Romans 5 1, having been justified by faith. Oh, we spent some time in justification on Sunday nights. Justified means just as though we never sinned. It's being made right with God. Here it is. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have that because of what He has done on our behalf. Here's the next one peace of mind comes through Jesus Philippians 4 7 and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds and your minds where in Christ Jesus (laughs) the peace that guards our hearts and minds it's found in him so we have believers right now that they are 100% saved they have been reconciled before a holy god because of the finished work of jesus christ on the cross and yet they still live daily in areas of anxiety fear worry they're overwhelmed it doesn't mean it doesn't mean that person's not saved but it does mean you got to look at where that peace is going to guard your hearts and minds it's in christ jesus in other words, it's a part of your positional truth. That is, as you're abiding in Christ, as you're living out of the overflow of an intimate relationship with God, as you are taking everything to God in prayer, as you're submitting your life before him, here's what happens. He lives through you as you creating a peace of mind that guards your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 7. It's a beautiful passage. A number of years ago, probably 10 to 12 years ago, my mom was hospitalized with blood clots throughout her body. And doctors came in and they shared what they had discovered and they said, this is serious. Uh, Because of where the blood clots are at, if any of those were to dislodge and go to your heart, go to your brain, it could cause a stroke, it could cause a heart attack, it could cause death. And she said, thank you for telling me that. And they didn't think she understood, so they sent another group of doctors in to share the same information a second time. And after the second group came in, she said, I understand the seriousness, but she said, I have peace. And here's what she said in that moment. She said, if God calls me home, I'm okay. If God heals me, I'm going to be grateful. She said, either way we go, I'm at peace. Did you know her circumstances had not changed in that moment? She still had blood clots. She was still considered to be in a serious condition. And yet God was the one guarding her heart and her mind in Christ Jesus. And by the way, when everybody's expecting you to freak out and you don't freak out, they take notes. There's something beautiful and strong about watching someone who their lives should be turned upside down, and they say, I'm good. I'm walking with Jesus. My Savior has me. And that's not saying you don't take things seriously. It is a recognition that God is greater. So here's our next one. Peace with others comes through Jesus. Now this statement could be the most difficult promise of the three for us to accept. And I'm going to be really, 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 really honest with you. You all ready for all this honesty? Some people just mean. (laughs) They are. They are hurtful. They are hateful. They they tend to take joy inflicting pain on others. And here, here this promises he can bring peace with others through Jesus. You're like, he wasn't hanging around my friends. He doesn't know that person at work. Okay, in Jesus' opening remarks in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. By addressing the peacemakers, those who are actively working towards peace, It shows a value that he is placing upon peace with others. Further in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus shared another step of peace with others. He says, if you know somebody is upset with you, oh, that's hard. Oh, that's hard. Here's what he said. Leave your offering at the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. Matthew 5. Let's pause there. What would happen if Christians obeyed that? What happened? would happen if we stopped in the context of worship and said, I'm going to need a moment to go get right with some people first? You all know following Jesus is radically different than what our minds and sometimes our hearts would tell us to do. Pause, pause, pause every Hallmark movie that you see that says just follow your heart, bad advice, bad advice. Your heart will get you in trouble fast. Follow Scripture. Follow Jesus. It is unbelievably different, but it's going to turn out better on the other side, I promise. So when he says, leave your offering, first go be reconciled, to your brother, then come and present that. As you and I are walking in obedience with Christ, he leads us down a path of peace. And if you're serious about what he's saying, it will be a short list at any given point in your life of somebody you're at odds with. You know, one of the first things I can tell of my own devotional life, when I'm straying away from an intimate relationship with God, I find I'm not nearly as concerned with getting right with people that are upset with me there should be a burden in the heart of believers that when you know there's something between you and someone, you might not be able to fix it, but by the grace of God, we're supposed to go speak into it and say, how can I make this right? So here's the next piece on that. Jesus also, same, same sermon on the mount, He confronted one of the teachings of the day. One of the teachings of his day was love your neighbor and hate your enemy. So, what does Jesus say? Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. In my flesh, I wish he said, punch your enemies in the face twice. That's what I want to do in that moment. Like, if if you're talking about in the flesh what you desire, oh, if you're talking about where your heart's going to lead you, you're going to be punching some people. Or at least talking mean about them a little bit. I mean, isn't that okay? No, it's not. (laughs) Just make sure you're all on the same page. That's not what a follower of Jesus does. A follower of Jesus lives first in submission to God And in humility, they allow God to live through them what in their strength they would not be able to live for themselves. Jesus wants us to be at peace with others, even those who persecute you. Now somebody might be saying, Paul, but the passage didn't say Jesus will help you be at peace with others. And you are 100% correct. It's not that he will help you create peace. He will live peace through you. Notice the sequence of where peace comes in. Jesus did not help you get right before God. Rather, he made you right before God. He did not help you have peace of mind. Instead, he guards your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. He's not going to help you be at peace with others, but he will live peace through you to others. Christianity is not about you and I doing something for God. It is about being in relationship with him and allowing him to live something amazing through us. As we abide in Christ, he lives through us. Where we might have lashed out, he responds in grace. Where you would have given up, he's now long-suffering. Where you would have slapped a knot on that person's head, he says, no, we're going to pray for him. That's one of those things, the further you walk with Jesus, you recognize the sanctifying power of the Spirit of God in your life. Because you know how you would have responded five years ago, ten years ago, maybe even last week. And all of a sudden, you're like, where did that come from? That's not how I've handled those things in the past. It's God living peace through us. So now go back to your key text. The key to peace on earth is not knowing the Christmas story. That's nice. It's not vowing from this point forward, I'm going to be a person of peace. We need to be peaceful. The key to peace on earth is the Prince of Peace. It's not only what he gives, it's who he is. So what was expected? A Messiah who would bring peace. What was revealed? A Savior who is peace and teaches peace and offers peace and enables peace. Why does it matter? Because He came for us, we can have peace with God, peace of mind, and peace with others. What an amazing blessing we have. So when you see that Christmas card show up and it's got the word peace on it, it's not just a nice word, it is a declaration what it means to be in right relationship with God. It is, it is a, almost a visual sign pointing you back to the fact that what he did on Calvary is now enabling us to be right with God and enabling us to have peace of mind, enabling us to be able to be right with others. If you're struggling at this point still to find peace, let me just say peace is not only available when everything is going right. If you wait till everything is going right and think, then I'll have peace, you'll never have peace. Peace is not what you're going to find through the rigors of religion. The demands of religion lead to pressure, bondage, and deeper anxiety. Peace is what you find in a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So my question is, do you know that you have that personal relationship with God? Do you know today that you have peace with God? Are you searching and still finding you're struggling to have peace of mind? Are you in a a process right now where you're not having peace with others In every direction you look, it's friction upon problem, upon division, upon issue. If that describes you at any level, then I want to share with you exactly what the angel said in Luke chapter 2. I bring you good tidings of great joy. A Savior has been born for us. So here's what the Bible teaches. Same gospel message I give over and over. Humanity was created for relationship with God. That's why you're here. Our sin separated us from that relationship. There was nothing that any of us could do to make things right. But Jesus did for us what we could never do. He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. He rose from the dead three days later that we might have life. And he offers, (coughs) excuse me, eternal life to those who will repent of their sin by placing faith in Jesus. That's the gospel. That's why we get a chance to celebrate. I'm gonna ask you if you would to bow with me for just a moment. Heads bowed, eyes closed. There might be some people today that you're saying I need peace. I need peace with God. I need peace of mind. I need peace with others. I want to lead in a very simple prayer. This is a prayer that is between you and God. God has done everything through Jesus that is necessary for a person to have peace. The question is whether or not we receive it by faith in what Jesus has done. So if you desire to know today that you have a right relationship with God, I'm gonna lead in this prayer. Here's basically what it'd be between you and God. God, I know that I've sinned and I recognize that my sin has separated me from you. I'm tired of trying to do it myself. I believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. He rose from the dead three days later so that I could have life. God, as best I know how, I place faith in what Jesus has done for me. Would you save me? Would you forgive me? Would you give me eternal life? Heads bowed, eyes still closed. I believe there's people in the room right now that have prayed with me. I believe there's people watching online that have prayed with me. And that is an incredible, incredible moment. It's one that you don't wanna keep to yourself. So I'm going to encourage you to let someone know. I'm gonna give you one of the easiest first steps that you could ever take in this, and that is Just today, if you're in this room, if you prayed with me for just a moment, as heads are still bowed, eyes are still closed, for just a moment, if you prayed with me, just lift your hand wherever you might be for just a moment. Thank you. Thank you. You may put them down. Thank you. You may put them down. Praise the Lord. In just a moment, there's going to be pastors along the front. There'll also be pastors that are lined up right in the middle of this worship area, right in the center of the aisle, wherever you might be today, if you want to talk with someone who can help you take the next step in this walk with Jesus, come talk to one of these pastors. They'll help you. Just know that one moment will change your life for eternity. It changes how you live, it changes how you process, it changes how you see the world around you. You want other believers to walk with you on this journey. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for what you've done. We ask Lord that you would continue to draw people to yourself in salvation. God, may you make much of your son Jesus in this place. Lord, we're grateful in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing?